0: As speech pathologists, we we do really get it. We understand the
1: importance of communication and and social connections. And it's important to learn that how one way of treating or or working with a, a client isn't necessarily going to be what works for another client in a different state or from a different tribe. If we've got assessment findings that are robust, then we don't have to make any presumptions And I strongly believe in the value and worth of what we do and the difference we make.
0: Hello, and welcome to Speak Up, Speech Pathology Australia's podcast. Each week, we feature a conversation about an area or topic related to all things speech pathology. Let's hear what this week's contributors have to say. Hi, and welcome to this week's Speak Up conversation. I'm Leah Pace, speech pathologist and member of the Vic Branch Professional Education Committee. Today, I'm lucky to be speaking with Dr. Caroline Baker. Caroline is a speech pathologist and postdoctoral research fellow with the Centre of Research Excellence in Aphasia Recovery and Rehabilitation, also known as the Aphasia CRE. Caroline holds the research and clinical practice lead position for the Monash Health Speech Pathology Department. She has 21 years of combined clinical and research experience in adult speech pathology, across bed-based and community services, both in Australia and the UK. Caroline's interests are in managing communication disability after brain injury. Her research focuses on preventing and supporting mental health difficulties for people living with aphasia after stroke. Thanks so much for joining me today, Caroline.
1: Thank you for having me, Leah. It's great to be here.
0: Yeah, likewise. So
1: for listeners who may not be
0: familiar with the aphasia CRE, can you firstly tell us a bit about the centre and what its
1: aims are? Sure. The Phasia CRE is a national research centre and it's affiliated with many universities around Australia. And it's led by our director, Professor Miranda Rose, who was awarded $2.5 million for the, from the MHMRC Centre grant. So, um, it's fabulous because uh, the centre aims to transform the health and well-being of people with aphasia and their families through research uh, that leads to enhanced, cost-effective and sustainable interdisciplinary aphasia rehabilitation and community services. Um, so the centre aims to tackle some of the main issues uh, in aphasia research and care through four programs of research and the one that i'm mainly involved in is optimizing mental health and well-being for people with aphasia um, and and this program is led by professor ian nebone who's a clinical psychologist from the university of technology in sydney great fantastic to have
0: such dedicated funding for this research isn't it yeah it is quite um quite
1: rare in the field of speech pathology i think Yeah, we were so thrilled Um, and we've got a fantastic website um, which I can provide as a link um, and that outlines the whole team involved. There's um, investigators, associate investigators, uh, postdoctoral fellows and research students as well Um, and people, speech pathologists are encouraged to join the community of practice as well. Uh, and all the information's there on the website. So, yeah. Terrific.
0: We can share the links in the show notes. Yeah, that'd be great. And Caroline, you're currently leading some really exciting-sounding projects within the aphasia CRE, uh, supported by grant funds that have been awarded by Speech Pathology Australia and also the Stroke Foundation. Can you tell us what led to you becoming involved in this research and tell us a bit about the projects?
1: Yeah, I'd love to firstly thank and acknowledge the Aphasia CRE and Speech Path Australia and the Stroke Foundation for supporting these projects. Uh, what led me to this area was um, working as a speech pathologist uh, for about 15 years and realising that people with aphasia uh, really needed support in managing some of the the common mental health difficulties they were experiencing around um, depression, anxiety, um, changes in their identity and um, social isolation um, and I have a Bachelor of Science in majoring in psychology so I've always been really interested in um, mental health and well-being. Uh, and as a speech pathologist, I wasn't quite sure about the scope of practice um, and and working with um, the interdisciplinary team. And so uh, I was interested to pursue uh, at some uh, research project through my PhD, uh, and I worked with Professor Linda Worrell and Professor Miranda Rose and Dr Brooke Ryan on looking at what the evidence practice gaps were in providing psychological care to people with aphasia. So through that research, we highlighted that there are a number of um, gaps and that people with aphasia are sort of falling through these gaps. Uh, I guess one of the main barriers for them accessing psychological therapies is their difficulty in communicating a lot of psychological therapies are talk-based and so people with aphasia have trouble expressing um, sometimes what they're feeling or um, what their needs are and sometimes having difficulty understanding as well and participating in some of those therapies. So um, I guess that's where my interest um sprang from. So I was able to identify those gaps and now through this postdoctoral research work, I'm actually able to then implement some therapies um, through the projects that we're doing at the moment.
0: Fantastic. That must be uh, you know, a nice transition to be able to work through from identifying some of the issues or, or the gaps that you talk about to then actually being able to do something about it. You know, it's a, a rewarding in that way.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I do feel really privileged to work with people with aphasia in this area too. They're really key to letting us know what is important for their psychological wellbeing. Um And I feel really fortunate to have a team working on this, um... A team of speech pathologists and psychologists. Uh, I can talk through one of the projects which Speech Pathology Australia is supporting uh, and it's called, uh, it's a new program, it's called Aphasia PRISM and PRISM stands for Prevention, Intervention and Support in Mental Health and the idea is that we're identifying people with aphasia that uh, require a low level of psychological care so they're not presenting with um, significant mental illness of depression and anxiety, but they may have difficulties coping and adjusting to having aphasia and the effects of stroke. Um, and this program offers people with aphasia the choice of three different therapies. Uh, they can choose from behavioural activation or problem-solving therapy or relaxation therapy. So these three therapies have been chosen because they have the best sort of level of evidence in the research for being effective with people with aphasia. Behavioural activation actually aligns well with the life participation approach to aphasia and that's all about helping people to schedule enjoyable activities into their everyday routine and highlighting to them the link between uh, an increase in enjoyable activities and an increase in their, um, their mood and sense of well being and pleasure in activity. Um, problem solving therapy is probably good for people that have worries and need some support in working through steps that help to uh, work through problems that they may face in their everyday. Um, lives. So there are a number of steps towards this that the clinician can help the person with aphasia learn and and work through. And then the last one is relaxation therapy, which there are different techniques. Um, People with aphasia may benefit from some calm and slow breathing techniques or progressive muscle relaxation or other techniques like visual imagery. So we'll be working with people with aphasia to sort of help in those areas as well. Fantastic. Is that a a study that you're recruiting for or has that already commenced? Yeah, so at the moment we will be recruiting from Monash Health and we going to train up uh, speech pathologists and psychologists and occupational therapists there to facilitate the therapies and at the moment given COVID uh, restrictions we're needing to do this online so the project um, has ethics approval to do in person or via telepractice. Um, The other exciting thing I guess COVID has presented challenges but also um, benefits in us sort of pivoting to provide intervention via telepractice. So the other part of this project funded by the Stroke Foundation is to expand this to uh, people with aphasia in rural and regional areas. So we have a team in Echuca and Bendigo that are going to assist with rolling the project out via practice in those areas, um, which is really exciting. And it will tell us a little bit about the feasibility of providing some low-level psychological interventions via practice for people with aphasia. Um, we'll, we'll do this through uh, a mixed methods sort of design. So we'll take some Uh, quantitative measures of mood and well-being and communication participation and confidence and we'll also uh, talk to people with aphasia and the therapists as well about uh, their experience of participating in the therapies or providing the therapy yeah
0: that's really an exciting project and I suppose you know as you say one of the positives to to COVID and the situation at the moment is that it sort of has thrust people into being a bit more open to telehealth. That's Um, right. So quite timely to be doing that sort of research at the moment.
1: Yes, it's been um, amazing to work with uh, leaders in the area, such as uh, Dr. Annie Hill, who have really been leading the way in telepractice in speech pathology for many years And um, I also would like to direct speech pathologists to have a look at the aphasia CRE website for resources uh, regarding telepractice in this area as well. We've uh, worked with people around Australia and internationally to uh, develop a repository of resources Uh, to support people with aphasia during COVID-19. So they're on the website as well and, um, yeah, encourage people to look at those resources as well.
0: Fantastic. Okay, that's great. Um, Caroline, you've touched already on some of the mental health difficulties that we might see uh, in survivors of stroke and some of those general mental health difficulties. But are there any that might be unique to people with aphasia that we wouldn't see as often in
1: other stroke survivors? People with aphasia are really struggling with uh, the difficulties with communication, which is unique to other stroke survivors without communication difficulties. Because of how key communication is to our relationships and our identity, the research indicates that People with aphasia have a higher prevalence of mental health difficulties like depression and anxiety and um, adjustment difficulties compared to people without aphasia. So it's roughly um, sort of double the rates of both depression and anxiety. So one study actually stated that up to 70% of people with aphasia at a year post-stroke can have depression. And then another study has shown that about 40% of people with aphasia um, can have anxiety. So it's more common than not um, for people with aphasia to have some sort of difficulty. And I think um, prevention of mental health problems is really key so um, providing some intervention very early on is really important for people with aphasia yeah to try
0: and mitigate perhaps that development of more significant mental health issues down the track
1: yeah Um, Mm. the other common psychological difficulty is a fear of falling as well Um, so if we also consider the physical um, impairments of survivors of stroke, that's another a high uh, rate of uh, pe- stroke survivors have a fear of falling, roughly 60%. So it's so key that we work with in the stroke interdisciplinary team to support all survivors of stroke with their psychological care.
0: Mm. For speech pathologists listening... Uh, who might work with survivors of stroke with aphasia. How do you see their role in facilitating psychological care for these clients? And what are some signs or symptoms
1: that they could look out for that might suggest a need for a referral? Yeah, sure. Um, So speech pathologists are really well positioned to assist in providing psychological care within a stroke team. Speech pathologists can be trained in mood screening. There are validated uh, assessment tools to screen for mood problems and these um, tools I can provide a list of references as well. But the clinically feasible tools are the Stroke of Phasic Depression Questionnaire and the Behavioural Outcomes of Anxiety Scale. We can also use the Depression intensity scale circles to get an indication of um, whether there are problems with mood so screening for mood isn't a diagnosis of a mood problem it's more about finding out could this person possibly have depression or anxiety and if they do uh, score into the the cutoff that they may have a a problem, then we need to flag this with the team, the stroke team, um, ideally with the doctor and the psychologist, and triage this person into more specialised care. So, yeah, really, we can't do this alone. Speech pathologists can't do this alone. We need the team around us and other um, specialists to support in this area. So we do have a role in screening for mood problems, but we can also provide a role in providing some therapies and interventions at a low level. So things like uh, goal setting can help to improve mood. There are a range of other therapies that may help as well enhance mood. And and some of them have been highlighted in a study by myself, which I can provide a a reference to. And my colleague, Brooke Ryan, has also uh, led a paper that highlights possible potential uh, interventions that may help with anxiety. But in both these areas of depression, anxiety, we need better um, evidence and more high-quality sort of evidenced for us to have a definitive idea about what works well yeah. and
0: I, I suppose often for these clients with aphasia it, it potentially further along after the stroke it might be that the speech pathologist is the only uh, allied health clinician still involved with that person um, so I can certainly see the importance in them being that flagging person
1: if there were concerns to then initiate referrals that were necessary. That's correct. Speech pathologists fantastic at um, building that trust and a therapeutic alliance with people with aphasia. And often talking to people with aphasia, they they really feel that trust and so they're more likely to feel comfortable and open to discussing their feelings with speech pathologists. So this is where um, the counselling skills of speech pathologists are really key as well. And my colleague, Jasvinder Sekon, has done some wonderful research through her PhD Looking at counselling for speech pathologists. So those approaches of actively listening to the person with aphasia, normalising how they feel and not minimising, helps them to get through this time of adjustment to their, their difficulties with communication and other stroke problems. Showing empathy. And those sorts of things are so important to people with aphasia as well. That's
0: po- positive to hear that there is a role for speech pathologists to provide some of that low-level counselling intervention that you that you mentioned, um, and then, of course, referring on if, if there were concerns
1: f- for more. That's right. We can also sort of provide um, a role in providing information Mm. to people with aphasia and their family members about where to seek support. And this might be through the formal channels of um, going to their GP or um, through the hospital uh, medical officer or the psychologist on the team. Mm. Or it might be through informal supports, such as linking them into peer support programs that are locally available. Right. um, Carers support groups as well are really important for the carers they're often experiencing um, mental health difficulties and adjustment changes as well in supporting the person with aphasia so it's really important that we sort of take a family centered approach um, to uh, acknowledge and support other family members too yes
0: yeah Mm. have you found in your research that there are particular challenges that people with aphasia face in being able to access mental health or psychological care?
1: Yes, definitely. Often they feel like they're not asked how they're feeling or going. So in the first instance, it's really important that we find out their history as well. So it's important that we we know if the, the experienced depression or anxiety before before their stroke. Because aphasia is a risk factor for these problems, we know that, it, it, that they are likely to experience them. So finding out early on and flagging that is important. Too often, actually, it happens that it, it's down the track that things fall apart once people with aphasia are discharged from hospital and are trying to live again in the community getting back into their activities where it can really sort of fall apart um so we want to try and prevent that from happening by preparing them for what's ahead and linking them in with their uh, support network um in their local area Mm.
0: have you found um uh, and I know personally from my own clinical work in a community setting, I've found it challenging often to find mental health clinicians that are either experienced or comfortable in working with people with aphasia. And that's been a barrier for me in trying to link people in with these services.
1: Yes. Yes. Thank you for highlighting this. It is difficult to find psychologists or counsellors that are also uh, comfortable in working with Uh, a person with communication difficulty so there are a a few we we have um, a, a small sort of network of psychologists that working in stroke research to support this area but sometimes there are pockets in our health networks where we will find psychologists that are really quite creative and open to learning about communication access and support and modifying some of their therapies to you know work with people with aphasia and this is where working together is really important where the speech pathologists can work with the psychologists to work together um, in perhaps modifying some of the the usual therapies so for example we have A project part of the aphasia CRE in um, assessing the feasibility of a modified cognitive behavioural therapy program for people with aphasia and that's being run by a group of research team of speech pathologists and psychologists Uh, and the therapy is being facilitated by a psychologist so I'd like to say you know that this is a growing area of research and we are definitely on the right path with um, engaging with our colleagues to support in this area and sometimes it's just a matter of trying to find the people in your local area that that you could work with to sort of support the person with aphasia,
0: yeah. Mm, that's right, it, it highlights the importance of those um connections within the multidisciplinary yeah. team, doesn't it, to, to upskill each other?
1: Every, um, every clinician within the stroke team has their own uh, area of expertise and um, I think we can do a lot more in working together with um, occupational therapists as well and social workers in um, providing support in this area. So for example, through my research, when I was talking to the interdisciplinary teams, there was a lovely example of a speech pathologist who worked with an occupational therapist to help a young woman who'd had a stroke and had aphasia to start to engage in therapy sessions again. And, and this young woman had very low mood and quite severe aphasia and while in hospital in rehab she would be under her bed sheet and not wanting to come out and it took a lot of time and um, support but they the speech pathologist and occupational therapist knew the young woman's um, interests and they worked with her slowly to engage her in the therapy of doing some personal care, so painting her nails and and doing things that were of value and meaningful to her to help her regain her um, identity and sense of independence um, and control again. So I just thought that was a really lovely example of speech pathologist and occupational therapists working together to support that young person.
0: Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, and a really nice example of um, collaboration. Hmm. Was, yeah. Caroline, any final advice for speech pathologists working with people with aphasia and perhaps how to be mindful of um, some of these mental health difficulties that they might
1: be experiencing? Get involved. Um, It might be identifying your own sort of gaps in knowledge and skills, which you're not alone, so... Speech pathologists can often feel low in confidence in providing psychological care and then vice versa. Psychologists can feel a bit low in confidence or comfort levels in providing therapy because of the difficulties with communication. So I really encourage speech pathologists to seek support and training. This is a really complex and difficult area of practice And it takes time to learn and work with people with aphasia in this area. It might be about highlighting one or two things you might like to change in your practice and trying to implement them uh, into your clinical practice. It might be... um, highlighting another team member that's also interested to improve the services in this area and working with them to perhaps make one or two changes. Little small changes can add up. And then hopefully with the change, you know, this can become usual and standard care. I I guess the first step is if there isn't a routine mood screening happening in your your area of practice then that could be a good first step to implement. But I'm always happy also to talk to speech pathologists if they'd like to get in contact with uh, colleagues and I have been able to uh, provide some training recently to clinicians in New South Wales and that was funded through a grant. So there's always opportunities um, and yeah, feel free to be in touch.
0: Um, you've mentioned you know, quite a few uh, fantastic sounding resources and research that's currently underway. We'll make sure we pop that in the reference list for this episode. Um, thank you so much, Caroline, for your time today and, and for the really necessary and important research work that you're doing with your colleagues.
1: Uh, thank you for having me, Leah. It's been a pleasure.
0: We hope you enjoyed this week's conversation. Remember to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your colleagues. Thank you for listening and bye for now.